Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service and the occasional interview or ministry resource. We hope you'll subscribe. Now, here's today's message. Today's scripture reading comes from Galatians 2, verses 17 through 21. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Okay, good morning again. See how fast that was? Back and forth, back and forth. So much energy up here, so much excitement. Um, and I really am. I mean, I, mean I, I know I had to give you the update, but that was just, I'm, I'm still floored about um, how we're doing as a church. Um, okay, this is going to be one of those kind of easels today. All right. Uh, well, welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. No matter what you believe, uh, no matter where you are on the spectrum of belief, we're just glad you're with us. We've been um, going through the book of Galatians, and let me tell you why, because there's always different reasons. There's, the past 10 years, maybe 20 years, has been a renewed emphasis in our culture to uh, focus us inward, to look within, to find the power, to find the drive, to go out and do great things. And there's, that's why everybody says, you know, find your, your qua, find your, you know, your, your, your energy and, and go do that. And a lot of folks, you know, when they feel empowered, they put it on social media and you see it and everybody's happy. But what the psychology is coming back and showing us, there's actually a lot of mixed results. A lot of people are saying... Uh, are disheartened by the fact that things are not changing, things are not different. They're not seeing a renewed movement out. And so we're going through this series on Galatians because it's telling us that Christianity, inside of it, it has the power to push us out into the world. Like Abraham, who had all the comforts, he had all the things for him, and he was sent out. And not only that, it was not just the way to go out towards others, it was the way inwardly to change. And so Galatians is here to help us examine what Christianity really is, that it's a power, that it's an engine to drive us for all future heart change. Last week, what we looked at uh, collectively is we looked at Peter and how Peter, he was resting his identity on his racism, on his preferences, on his cultural particularities. And what I find really interesting about that passage is Paul didn't look at him and say, hey, Peter, you need to stop doing that. You're breaking the no racism rule of Christianity. Just stop. He doesn't do that. It's not printed in our passage, but just a couple verses before verse 17, verse 14, he says this exact phrase. He says, Peter, you aren't living and acting in line with the gospel. And I think this is important because we've gotten stuck as modern people. Here's what we do as individuals. We think if we want somebody else to change, we need to call them out. We need to yell at them. We need to, if we just 
challenge them and tell them off and confront him, that will lead to change. And Paul is saying, actually, no. That you can't change unless something inwardly in your nature actually does. So you can't change. You can't go change somebody and just say, hey, you're a racist. Stop being a racist. You can't change and just say, hey, stop doing that, this thing that you need to stop doing. Because those are just words. And words, at their essence, is just, they're just images and reflections. And you can, you can actually just say, no, I'm not going to agree with those. And so Paul's core argument says, if you want to change, the essence of it is the gospel. And I know that term is thrown around churches like this all the time. And so we have to really unpack it because our text actually is addressing exactly what is the nature of the gospel. And he's telling us this in three ways today. He's saying the gospel is radical freedom. It leads to radical confidence. And then it gives us a radical motivation. All right, I'll say it again. The gospel is radical freedom, radical confidence, and radical motivation. So first, the gospel is radical freedom. Now, notice uh, in our passage, it starts with just two simple words, this clause, but if. The, the following argument is predicated on these two, these two words, but if. And, and of course, that's, that he's summarizing, but if. This is true. What's true? Everything I've just said. But what, is he, what has he said up to this point? Well, if I can summarize, chapter one was looking at Paul's nature. Chapter two was looking at Peter's nature. Chapter one was looking at Paul when he was a non-Christian. Chapter two was looking at Peter as a Christian. In other words, both groups of people need to hear the gospel because both need it. Because in both Christians and non-Christians, Paul's saying there's something about the human heart that tends towards oppression. It tends towards exclusion. Uh, Left to himself, Paul was a persecutor, he says in chapter one. And left to himself, Peter preferred his own own, uh, um, people group. And so at first, I mean, when I first read it, I was like, okay, good. Um, Okay, Paul was a persecutor. Peter uh, had his preferences. Good news is I'm not a persecutor and I'm not a racist and so I must be okay. But if you're hearing that, that's not what Paul's saying. The structure of the human heart, the way we get our identity is through power. And you will persecute through a performance-based mentality like Paul or through your pedigree like Peter. A true story. I have two daughters. Um, uh, when the second one was born, she was a couple months old. The oldest was about two years old. And um, I was giving her a bath. And in, for, our, for us, we have this you know, regular bathtub. And to give like a, a baby a bath... What we had was like this kind of like little white structure, and you can't really call it a seat. The baby would just sort of lay in it like this, and the water kind of you know come up, and you try and splash the water, and the baby just kind of sits like that. I'm like, I want one of those chairs, so you just kind of <laughs> lay back and sit like that. But um, so I'm being you know I'm being good dad, and and I'm giving my daughter a bath, and she's you know laughing and playing with the water, and so I, I you know took out my phone, start filming, um, and trying to do this, but my oldest daughter who was two at the time she wanted in on the action she wanted attention too so she kept on trying to butt in and I'm trying to get around and film the other daughter and um it started bugging me and so while I'm filming the whole thing I start I I eventually kind of blow up and I say listen you stop doing this can you just be calm can you just sit over there and she's two she hasn't she no she can't but I I felt the need to tell her this and I, was, and I was like, listen, you're ruining everything. I'm the dad here. You're not the dad. And, and I'm trying to rationalize the two-year-old. 
And she kept on trying to butt in and try to talk. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, no. It's time for me to put my foot down and you just need to listen and obey. And she goes, no, stop interrupting. And eventually she starts screaming. I'm like, what's your problem? I'm screaming at her. And she's pointing the tub and the water has filled and it's over the face of my youngest daughter. And um, I pulled her up right out of that. I I had no idea how long she was under. She was fine. But... um, (laughs) I think so. I think she's fine. Um, And that was seven years ago, okay? So what's weird, though, is this. Uh, Now that we have these phones, they they automatically upload your your videos. And so I was not trying to save that video. But just this past year, it was, I was just going through some old videos, and there was that one. And man, it was, it was tough. I watched, I watched it. And what was happening is I was filming this whole time. I had a plan. I had a, 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 uh, a process. I knew what I was right. I was in the right, and I almost killed my daughter because of it. And you might not call that being a persecutor or an oppressor, but this was all about power. It was veiled up in fatherly care, but really, I had a performance-based mentality that I was trying to apply to my daughter. And the truth is that the structures of our heart are based on something. If they're based on something other than power, then that's great. But in general, they're not. We're feeling justified based on our performance or we're judging somebody else based on their performance. And I, you know, I, I know uh, I just outed myself in, with this bathtub, but basically we all have the same judgment systems that we all despise others who aren't living up to what we think they should be doing. So we, when we analyze people based on what they should be or should not be doing, so uh, at work, you probably have a, a, a measuring stick of like what is valid for another coworker, and if they're not living up to it, we reject them. Or at home, we have a we have a level of saying this is what your home life should look like, and if those who we live with are not living up to that level, we get angry at them, we get upset. Or if you have an understanding about how life should be lived and somebody's not living life that way, we despise, we judge, we look down on those individuals. That, and it hides. The reason why you don't see it is it hides under, oh, I'm just, I'm just actually um, being, I'm just right. I'm just rightfully saying this is what's wrong and I'm just calling it out. See, the truth is, is that, is that our, the structures of our heart are based on power. And by the way, this is, I think this is extremely relevant. Right now we're having a large conversation in society about who are the oppressors and who are the oppressed and who's the most oppressed and, and how are we gonna get justice? There's a whole conversation going on right now. But if we don't get radical freedom in the gospel, we're destined to fall into this cycle that we're seeing, which is calling it out, getting outraged by it, highlighting it, canceling the people, and then rinse and repeat. Because then they see us do that, and then they cancel us. They highlight it, see, oh, look what they're doing, and then they can't, and it goes back and forth. The world is fragmenting over and over and over again. There's so many people on social media right now that feel so virtuous. I called that person out. I did it. And then they mock them, and they demean them, and then, of course, by doing that, you've, you've let evil enter into your own heart, and so you perpetuate the problem, and it keeps going around and around and around. The cycle doesn't stop. I was, um, I was at a conference in California last week and I got to talk to a woman afterwards. Um, she was a Christian. Her adult children were not Christians. And I got to go into my own story and tell her about how when I was an adult, um, 
when I was an adult, I am an adult. Um, <laughs> that actually, I, when, I, when I became an adult, I actually wasn't a Christian right out, out of childhood. I grew up in a Christian home, but I couldn't actually hear Christianity from my, my family. I, I needed the multiplicity of other voices out there. Um, and, and yet, what I told her is this. I could, I could share with her and say, listen, when I was seeking, when I was evaluating, when I was kind of looking around, probably one of the most attractive things that I saw was the sort of Christian intuition to, to forgive and repent. Because I was, you know, I wasn't a Christian. I was out there, and I just noticed how we just don't, we don't let go. I was like, man, why can't we do that? Instead, we, we either cancel somebody or we try to earn our favor or we try to prove our value. Inside, there's a religious version of this, but some of my non-religious friends were the most law-based. They were the most regimented individuals out there. And yet, there's something so amazing. When somebody can look you in the face and say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I did this, I hurt you. Will you forgive me? And there's an equal part power when somebody looks back and says, yeah, you were wrong. Yeah, this did hurt me. And I'm not going to continue to let, I'm not going to continue to hold that against you. I'm going to release you from that and bring relationship back to you. I know there's a whole conversation about abuse and abuse victims. And I understand that there's that conversation. But for most of our relationships, this is a possibility, and we don't do it. There's so much power in, in, in forgiveness and repentance. And I think it's the way out of the spiral of brokenness and this, the cycle of oppression that we have going on here between the oppressor and the oppressed. It's the only way forward. By the way, you don't repent unless you can admit, and you don't admit unless you recognize that you're wrong. And so there's something inside the Christian identity that actually, I think, allows us to admit that we're in the wrong. And to say, I know, I'm the wrong one here. Jesus himself could look to his best friends, the disciples in Luke 11, and say, you're evil. He said, I'll quote it to you. He says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit? See, Jesus is putting out there, he goes, just so you know, you're evil. And yet, if we can go into our own stories, if we don't deflect, if we just confess it's then the possibility for radical freedom exists. It can come. And then the change happens. And then you can get that radical confidence. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and other members of our church community. If you have questions about today's message, send an email to lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our Sunday worship service. Now, here's the remainder of today's teaching. So yes, radical freedom. But Paul's second point here is that once you get that freedom, it leads to confidence. The critics in this text that Paul's responding to thinks the gospel, at least Paul's iteration of it, is, is not enough. That what they're saying is, they say, wait, hold the phone, Paul. Are you really saying... That salvation is completely by grace and there's nothing you actually have to do as an individual. Because then you, that means then you can live any way you want, right, Paul? That, that means then what you're saying here in verse 17, if you're justified in Christ, doesn't that mean then Christ promotes sin? See, they're, they're, they're bothered by this. They're saying you're actually allowing people to get away with it. 
And so the, key, the whole key to this, this passage is the word justified. What does Paul mean by justified? It's a legal term. We still use it uh, in cases. We, we tend not to use it in, in normal, everyday um, dialect, but it, it means to not be guilty, even if the action, if the event itself does actually happen. It's to validate one's actions. It's the, this is at the core of many, many of our legal battles right now. You don't to contest the action, you contest the verdict or the substance of the action. So it's like, my honor, my honor, sorry, your honor, yes, my client killed this man, but he was justified to do so because he was, gonna, he was being attacked. Yes, you know, she punched her neighbor, but she was justified to do it because unless she did that, she was going to continue to hurt herself. And so this is, if you want to know the opposite of the word clean is polluted, the opposite of the word justified is condemned. It means to not be condemned. So to be justified in Christ here in verse 17, it means you and I still have that performance-based mentality. We still have that self-salvation paradigm. We still daily, hourly, are looking to anything and everything other than God to validate ourselves, to feel good about ourselves. But you and I are no longer being judged based on that criteria, that your relationship with God is no longer based on your past, but his past. Not on what you did, but what he did. It's not based on your beauty and greatness and glory. It's on his beauty, greatness, and glory. I think this is at the center of how you can have a radical confidence. Because I think this is at the core of Christianity. Paul is not saying the core of being a Christian is being a good person. It's like being, you know, you know trying hard and being good. Actually, a, a changed Christian heart may lead to that. It's the product of it. It is not, a changed heart is not the substance. So here's what the core is. If, just try to for a second, try to believe Go into that, that confession that we just read. We pretend, we lie, we envy, we lust, we criticize, we brood, we ignore. We All those things, imagine those are real in your life. You did them and you're not judged by them. And what the critics are saying to Paul, they're saying, you know, that means if you believe in, in Christianity, if you believe in grace, you're like, sweet, I can do whatever I want now. And actually, to be honest, that is the first response if you've never actually questioned the freeness of Christianity, if you've never actually said, wait a second, Christianity might, does it lead to the license of continuing to sin that I'm free, I'm so free, I'm free, free, free. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If you don't take a double take about that and go, is that really, is that okay? Then you might not have actually heard the gospel. Today's Groundhog's Day. Um, one of my favorite movies is called Groundhog's Day with Bill Murray. I don't know when it was made. It's an old movie. And uh, it's about him in, you know, Punk Satani. He's, he's there and the day keeps repeating itself over and over and over again. And at one point, he, he talks to some other individuals during this day. And he says, what would you do if there's no consequences to your actions? That every day you can just wake up and, then, and the next day it's, it's a new day. And the answer that they gave is, well, then we could do whatever we want. That's the natural response to something like this. And so how does Paul answer that charge? Well, what he says in this text here, he's saying, yes, actually you can do whatever you want, but you wouldn't. 
And why not? Because here's the essence of why you do anything in the world. You know why you do? You do because you want. Why do you want? You want because you feel like you have to have. Why do you have to have it? Because you feel like it will complete you or it'll bring happiness or it will um, validate you. That's why we do anything in the world. Augustine, he talked about this at his own confessions. When, um, when he's at his own conversion, he actually said he was very sexually active. Uh, and he was going from partner to partner looking for affection, for relationships. And when he becomes a, a Christian, he's now walking down the, you know, his, the, the streets in his town and one of his old flames comes up to him. She probably wants to rekindle relationship and, and he, they're just talking politely and he's like, no, 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 thank you. And starts walking away. And she's so miffed by this. She's like, I, that's not the Augustine I know. And so she, maybe, maybe he doesn't recognize me. So she turns to him and says, Augustine, it is I. And the most, one of the most famous parts of his book, he turns to her and says, yes, yes, but it is not I. What Augustine's trying to get at is he was using relationships. He was using sex to fill the emptiness inside, right? Sex is supposed to be to give, but he was using it to get. I used to be driven to get love. Now, though, that I've been given love, I'm not driven in the same way. I used to uh, use work, I used to overwork to get validation, but now that I have validation through him, now I don't have to work in the same way. See, Paul is saying, think. Grace means you are free to do whatever you want. But if you used to do and say because you were looking for approval and now you have the ultimate approval of God, God himself, if that's really come into the deep, dark places of your life, inside your heart, then you're not gonna do in the same way anymore. At least not when you actually start realizing this. And not, not in time. I think it's important that death is mentioned twice in this passage. Notice in verse 20, he says, you're crucified with Christ, right? That's death. But then he says it again. I no longer live. The double emphasis, what's going on here? He's saying, now... I want to live for the one who lived for me. He's saying, now I want to love in the way the one who loved me. So I do, I hopefully you can see how you can have confidence here. If your old motivation was always self, self-focused, how do I fill this, this stuff in here? And now Paul's saying, I have a new life. Here's how that statement changes. I used to do for me, now I do for thee. That's the essence of the difference. And if you get this change, it's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me, right? That's, that's Augustine. It's I, but it's not. Not anymore. And so I guess the question before I move on here is this. Does this confidence, does this confidence reside in you? Because I think it gets, this gets at every last aspect, even in the small spaces of your life. Um, uh, last week, Two weeks ago, I was with a friend of mine um, at, a, at the airport, and, we're, and it's late, we're trying to get picked up, and we're looking at um, you know, our, our phones, and we're having a mini debate about which uh, you know, app will, will, will pick us up faster from the airport, right? Is it Uber or is it Lyft? And I was like, it's Lyft, right? At this time, and you know, I did my calculations, Lyft. And he's like, no, it's Uber. And I said, all right, well, let's see. So we, we hit the button at the same time. And it turns out, guess who was right? This guy. Um, 
I was like, you know, don't mess with the best because the best don't mess. Um, uh, and I was like, I, I won. I, I was right. I told you I was right. And it, I kind of put it, I was pushing a little more than usual. And eventually my friend was like, how's that making you feel? You feel better about yourself? You feel good? You feel good, right? And all of a sudden I had this sort of existential like, why, why am I pushing this so much? Why, why am I needing this for validation? Why am I so competitive and even in this? Now you can start laughing and go, oh my, it's such a small thing. Why don't make it such a big deal? But that's the point. It's such a small deal. And yet I still was using it. I was still using it for validation. I wasn't resting in the free grace that he loved me because he loved me because he loved me. And when, I, when it hit me and I saw it, when I saw the, even, the, the, the sin was not so much in the big, it was in this small little crevice. I was like, ah. Oh. And when I could admit it and apologize and say, you're right, this was me, it was then, it was only then that his love washed over me, even in this little space. Friends, it, that's where confidence is. It's not in winning. It's not in the sexual partners. It's not in the promotions. It's not in the friends. It's not in the family. You can chase those things your whole life. And you know what? You'll get a lot of good out of it. They won't be enough. But you've been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That means it's done. Notice that there's a finiteness to it. There's no conditional phrase in this statement. It's final. Rest, sit, gaze in awe of the power and love that that grace can change everything. Yes, the big things, but even in the small crevices of your life. Last point. All right, now what? Freedom leads to confidence. Confidence, though, leads to a new motivation. I want to sit, can we do this? Let's try this action together. Look at the second half of verse 20. All right. He says this, he says, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to read that again. I want you to, let's, let's do it again, slowly. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love Paul here because he is so tender. He's killed people. Peter's despised people. You have killed and despised in various ways in your heart. And yet, though we look to anything and everything other than God, we look to the created things and not to the creator. What do you get? You know what you get? You get the son of God who loves me and gave himself to me. What warmed Paul's heart and what's gonna warm your heart is Jesus' love to you, him crucified on that cross for you shows you what he's willing to go through to get you back. And if you allow that into your life, your motivation for the why, for why you do anything changes. It's from I have to, now I want to. I I obey to be accepted, now I'm accepted, therefore I want to obey. From I love so that maybe he'll love me to he loves me, now I want to love. That simple phrase changes everything. So that's why he says, I live by faith. What's the opposite? To live by works, which is the law, which is do, do, do. And it moves us from a performance-based mentality to a faith-based. The law is actually good here. See, in verse 19, for through the law, he used the law to show himself that he couldn't 
actually win. He couldn't actually do enough in the law. Right? He used the law was a way then to evaluate yourself and others to know if you were in or out. And what he saw through the law is that he was out. He died in the law. Take any take the Ten Commandments, take any law. Number one, have no other gods before me. Everybody in this room has already broken that law. We've already failed right before, from the very beginning. Because the law brings death. But that's actually good because then you can actually hope in something other than the law, hope in Christ. Try to obey the law. Try, Paul is saying, and you can't do it. The commands and the precepts. And therefore you have only two choices. You can try again to get your salvation through the law or, as Paul said here, you can say the life I now live in the body, I live by faith. In the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's this, this word righteousness or right standing. Being good enough, trying to gain the law is not going to work. So friends, you look at verse 21. This is a warning. He's saying, I do not set aside the grace of God. He's worried that you and I are setting aside the grace of God. It's not just the grounds. The gospel's not just the grounds into Christianity. It's the basis for life around and in it as well. You can't change by telling yourself off. You can't change by telling somebody else off. It doesn't work. That you think that by correcting somebody and correcting their oppression, you might even be able to change the outward expression maybe for a little bit because you shamed them and that you called them out. But the inward heart is the same. It will just move to some other version of oppression or, or persecution. And I think that's how the world tries to motivate. Right, think about, here's how, you want me, can we tell you what the world gives you as a list of what you should do? Here it is, be good. Try hard, love other people who are different from you, work for world peace, make the world a better place. That's five. And on, on the surface, they sound good, right? You're like, well, what's wrong with those statements? Well, I, well, at first, I'll tell you one version is this. There's a lot of people that look at those five things. They go, world peace, love others. Oh, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm good. I'm a good person. And, they, and then, of course, of course, they sort of pull themselves out of needing to do anything because they've already evaluated themselves and they found themselves good. But then compare that to, imagine this, if somebody comes to you and says, you are so far from being good. You are so far from actually loving people who are different from you that nothing less than Christ crucified, the cross, that's what you need because that's how lost you are. You compare those two statements, try hard, be good, love people, you're bad. On the surface, it looks like the world's version is affirming and kind and good. And the Christian ver- version is like kind of putting us down and tearing us apart. It's kind of, ew, that's so, that's so negative. I hear, I've heard my friends say, oh, you have, must have low self-esteem. <laughs> you're all bad, you're all bad. But those statements on the surface look like one's good, one's bad, but go inside of them and they flip. And the reason why they flip is because when the world says be good, try hard, love others, what happens when you don't? Cancel. You're wrong. How dare you? Outrage, hurt. And so actually that tears us apart. Now take the Christian version. You're bad. You need the cross. And yet because of it, God will never, ever, ever, ever reject you. And because of it, he will never, ever, ever, ever leave you. The world's version is actually the fear-based version. It's the law-based version. And there's only death through the law. That you better live up or else. Whereas, as pleasant as that sounds, it's actually death. It's, it's hurt. It's why we're dying. 
the Christian answer. Think if you believed in Christianity, like in your heart of hearts, then you have nothing else to ultimately be afraid of. No rejection, no action. Rightly understood, it propels you more into further action. This is why this church stresses this primarily, because to move out into the world, you'll do it more, not less, if you get the gospel. And it's not fear-based. It's not shame-based. It's the beauty of the love of God. He loved you because he loved you because he loved you. You can't stop lying. Just telling yourself that. But you know what? If you're struck with the awe and love of his love for you, despite that, you will. You can't stop identifying with something, getting your glory, getting your feels from other relationships, but if you sit in the majesty and glory and beauty long enough, it's gonna reprogram you. I'm fighting over Uber versus Lyft and God all along is saying, when's he gonna realize that I love him? I'm, I sit at home wondering if my finances are gonna be enough, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna make it. And he's saying to me, he's saying, I've counted every hair on your head. I, I was taking care of you before you know, knew that I was taking care of you. Before you even knew that you needed to be taken care of. And I'm going to be taking care of you when, in the future. Even when you don't think I'm taking care of you. Only in Christ Jesus. If he's your most beautiful love and hope. That vividness will shine out all the other objects in your life. He is grabbing you. He is saying, I'm here. I've done it. It is finished. Rest. Come. Partake in this. Accept the freedom given to you, sit in that confidence, and bask in the new motivation that moves us out into the world to love and serve others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's so much need out in the world. There's so much, it's so hard for us to say, but, but there's so much, it's, you're, not, not, you're not telling us we can't call something wrong There's a lot of wrong in the world, but it's how do we motivate each other to go out and change? Help us to see and rest in your grace that actually there's nothing we have to do more. Let the freedom of that, let the the non-conditionalness of it wash over us and move us and just help us to sit there and Father, so we can just worship and be in awe of your love and care. I'm asked for that more. We're we're always pushing ourselves to do, do, do. Help us to sit here in this verse 20 about how, as Paul, he felt loved because he gave himself for me. I pray everybody in this room will get that. We pray things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning into our church's podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast, and we invite you to join us for worship on Sunday. We're located at the corner of West 64th Street and Central Park West. More details can be found on our website, lincolnsquare.redeemer.com. Thanks again for listening to the LSQ Podcast.